G'day folks, it's Phil here. We've had the delight, the pleasure to listen to the wonderful Jojo McKeck and two times we're gonna go around just one more time and we're going to explore the notion of what it looks like to take your voice, to apply it to your agency and then to do it for the other. That really, really critical piece about advocacy, which is all about contribution. Jojo McKechnie knows more about contribution and educating for contribution than anybody I know. I'm excited. I can't wait to talk to her more about it. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 12 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. We are partnered with the dynamic education team at the Museum of Australian Democracy. MOAD Learning can support your teaching and learning needs on a range of topics, including civics and citizenship, democracy, empowering voice, and so much more. Visit moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. That's moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. G'day, Jojo. How are you going today? Oh, kia ora, Phil. It's great to be back. Looking forward to having a great session with you again. Yeah, indeed. How's the farm going? The farm is beautiful. We've got four new little cows. Excellent. Excellent. So they'll be ready for you to come over and cook us another roast. Oh, look, I'll be delighted to do that anytime. <laughs> Big Red contributed very, very nicely to our nutrition um, that time that, that we, we got together last. Um, yeah. Talking of contribution, why is contribution so important in education? I think... You know, for me, contribution is is almost the meaning of life. Um, I, I don't want to say it quite like that, but for me, it's turned out to be a, a very, very huge word in my life. You know, when I've looked at all of the, the work I've done over the past sort of 35 years of, in, in education, when, we, when I peel it back to everything that I've ever done, I sit back and I say, when a child contributes, that's when they feel everything that they've been doing with their learning comes together and it's it's about whether they're doing a doing an activity when they're actually helping somebody it can be as small as a smile it can be something basically just adding to the world so when somebody adds to the world they're contributing and it's really hard to feel bad and it's really hard to feel like you're doing something wrong when you are adding to the world so for me contribution is the key to us feeling successful and it's also positive so it's kind of a win-win for everyone. It's it's it, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because again, if I were to ask you that question, and I asked it towards the end of the last um, episode of this special series of the Game Changers, which is what does this look like in a classroom? I'm thinking to myself of all those restless children who we've educated along the way, and when we were younger teachers, and we're trying to work out what do we do with these little ones, um, all these big ones. And the received wisdom of the best teachers was always give them a job to do. Yep. yep. Give them <laughs> some way that they can add to what it is that we're doing in this collective enterprise in the classroom. Even if it's only they're the ones who sharpen the pencils or they're the ones who hand the bits of paper out or so on and so on. And the difference between the rebuke and the encouragement yep. between stamping on somebody and giving them a role that they can add yeah. Um, to the you know the, the, there's a there's a wonderful line in the school prayer um, uh, uh, written by Polly Perkins of Cranbrook School, which was which is the school I went to and I taught at first, and it talks about the notion that that there's there's an opportunity for everyone among us to add to the character and glory of the school, 
um, or a character and glory, and you can extend that to the classroom. You can extend that to the moment. We can add to the character and glory of the moment. We can do that for society as a whole. So we can remember what it is that we were taught by those wise old teachers when we entered into the profession, but we can also lose a sense of that, can't we? And and then and then we can we can end up stopping people from contributing because we 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 prioritize our own contribution as teachers over the contribution of the learner. Mm. That's right. And 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 you know, when we get angry, when we get tired, when we get overworked, when we get um, when we run low on funds, when we run low on energy, the first thing we do is we shut down our contributions. And it makes us start to become very miserable. And the one thing that I've learned, in particular working with um, people who have less privilege, they don't do that. They keep their contributions up and there's a sense of there's a sense of happiness that I've never seen before. And that's something that I really want to that I I I I you know that that I've noticed when I'm in my travels. And I think that if we can give that to our kids in classrooms to remember that if you can lift up out of yourself every single time by giving something, by adding something, those teachers in the olden days were right. Give them something to do by adding to somebody's life. It makes such a difference. So let's go a step further from that then, which is to say that the ultimate act of contribution Mm -hmm. is to advocate for the other, to stand up for the other, to speak for the other in and around that. Talk to me about the role of advocacy. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that surprises me is the the amount of silence that we have in our world um, about things that aren't so good and that people are too scared to speak out when they see something that's wrong that's going on for their fellow neighbour, for their friend, for their teacher, for their colleague, for their family member for their anybody. Why is that? And what, why has that happened in our societies? And how do we fix that? So for me, it's about understanding how do we get that silence to change? How do we start to move some of the, that silence away from people who have privilege to actually start, the, start them speaking? And how do we get people to listen? So it's about speaking and listening and who holds the power and are we brave enough to start being an advocate for those who don't have the power. So I know I am born to privilege. I know that I have a very loud voice. So if I don't use it for contributing to a better world, then what's my purpose? What's my point? Why am I here? I could just sit here on my little farm and have a great time. But the bottom line is, if I don't make the world a better place for everybody else, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I don't feel like I'm contributing. Yeah, I think there's something going wrong in the world at the moment with the criticism of people for privilege, um, because it's almost as though having a privilege, and very rarely is that privilege that you have, do you have any control over Mm. that which you were given, either biologically or materially or someone, you ended up on the planet and... Mm. You know, there, 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 there's something going in your favour. The point of the world is not to tear down people who've yeah. got privilege, not to rebuke them for it, not to criticise them for it, not to stamp on them and put them in their place. 
but the point of privilege is to enable people to find a purpose for that privilege, which is greater than the gratification of their own exactly. needs. It's about exactly. the service of other people. But, of yeah. course, First Nations folk have known this for a long time, haven't they? Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that, because we, we think in collective, we don't think individually, we think about our whole our whole tribe, we think about our whole land, and we think about that we're custodians of the land, we don't own it. We think about that we are here to keep it, keep everything okay for our future generations. So it's not about us as individuals being successful. So as an as an Indigenous woman, I'm here to make sure my people are okay. I have to give back to my people. I have to make sure that what I do is not going to be detrimental to them or to anybody else or to the land. So therefore, what I'm trying to do is to make sure that what Every action I take is going to be of benefit rather than of, of, of danger. And, you know, I think the point about when you're born into privilege, it is not your choice. So therefore, you have to, as you say, make a decision. Are you going to be strong enough to advocate for those who aren't? Or are you going to take, take your privilege and keep it for yourself? You have a choice. Everyone has a choice. You've chosen in your life to uh, a pathway of seeking greater and greater responsibility. Along the way, you have not only taken on this responsibility within communities, you've taken it on on uh, a, a policy level. You've taken it on a, on a commercial level. You know, you run businesses where you take on responsibility for the livelihoods and well-being of the people who work in those enterprises. You've taken responsibility for thought leadership. Um, within the educational community along the way. You've authored many books and many papers um, and, you know, work with people like uh, the fellow game changer uh, guest Michael Fullen on trying, to, on trying to work out what are the ideas that people need to be thinking about and how they need to advocate for that. Um, out of all of these roles, which is the one that's given you the greatest joy? Ooh. Bill, that's a really, really hard question because I've just done so many interesting things, met so many amazing people that I don't know that I could actually pick one thing and I get so much joy out of life. And the other reason is, is that my middle name is Joy. So <laughs> it's so funny because I, I gave my mother a really hard time for calling me my middle name being Joy, but now I, now I understand why she did that. <laughs> so it's here. Yeah, it's a tough one. Do you think there's something in that though of the, of the meeting of people? And, and uh, because you, you're not one to stand still, eh? you, you, you like getting out there, finding lots and lots of different people and so on and so on. Um, yeah. you, you, maybe there's something in there. Can I, can I suggest to you something which I've seen you do and, and, and which, which um, I think goes to the very core of your being, which is your public speaking? Yeah. Because that, may, that means so much to you, to stand up and speak to, with, for, about on behalf of a group of people to try and connect what's deep inside them. Um, yeah. You have a rare knack and a rare talent for doing that. What's it like for you? Um, what's it, what, what does it feel like when you're speaking in public? It's, it's, it's one of the things that did cross my mind um, as one of the greatest joys that I do have. I absolutely and I love doing that. Um, I love being able to feed off an audience and get feedback from their thinking. And, and I get great joy of being able to share what I have learned by working with multiple groups of schools and kids and people. Um, I feel really lucky and, um, and I'll use the word privileged, privileged to go around the world and work with different schools, different leaders, different, different kids all over the place 
be able to synthesize that knowledge, figure out why it's working, figure out what they're doing that's successful, figure out how we've been able to help them, and then share that knowledge back. I get to speak at some of the most amazing places and go to some of the amazing, most amazing places. Phil, I'm so excited. Next year in July, I've been invited to speak at the North American um, Principals Conference for elementary school principals. So that's for the whole country, the whole of North America. I'm I'm absolutely jumping with joy because that to me is, is really exciting that I get to speak to every, you know, as many principals as can get there from the whole of the country. That is a it's, a, it's a real thrill for me because I'm getting to talk about contributive learning and they're really interested in this because it's a real shift for them to move away from standardization and to move into contribution. So if we can get a country like the United States of America interested in this kind of work, then we're then I'm winning. So for me, being able to do the public speaking means that I can share some of these ideas and that shifts thinking at a much bigger level. So a whole group of people get access to this information, which then spreads this thinking. And that gives me joy because that means more kids get access to this thinking. What do you think kids gain the most from contribution? They gain, they gain a respect for themselves. They gain, they gain a sense of knowledge that they can do something, that they are successful, that they are doing something that gives them a sense of joy and a sense of purpose and a sense of connection and a sense of knowing that they have been able to do it. That changes the role of the teacher, doesn't it? Completely. From the disseminator of knowledge, from the font, from the controller, from mm. the, the gatekeeper, yeah. um, uh, from the behaviour manager, and don't get me started on... Yeah, you know things it's, like the appointment of behavior, yeah. behaviors are, and all of this sort of thing in and around it. But it changes the, the the role of the teacher. What does the role of the teacher become under a system which is about uncovering the the, the privilege of contribution by students? That's really interesting because I was talking to one school who who has partnered with the university, and so the teachers were sitting with the lecturers from the university, sitting with the kids sitting with the parents and sitting with the leadership team. Their whole, all of them were together. And my challenge to them was, what's a problem in your community that needs to be solved? What's going on that you need to sort out? What's, what's something that everybody is worried about? And that's, that's where the learning started. So what they're looking for is how can they solve a, a real world issue and then work backwards from that and see, what, who's, who's interested in that? Which group of kids would be interested in that? What's, which, which content areas is that going to be covering? Which, which um, sort of social and emotional skills are going to be needed? Who needs to do what? Who's going to be, uh, who's going to be you know, so there's a planning phase as well. But they do that with the children. They, they're not marking books at home at night. They're not planning at home at night. The teachers actually end up having a real life. They actually enjoy what they're doing. And what's really exciting for teachers is that they get to learn alongside the children. They become the guide on the side and the stimulator. They help. It's almost like an action research learning process rather than, than a standard stand at the front. And so they become the person who starts to ask the questions, who prompts, who, who, who suggests different opportunities, who might help them find different access points, who might you know, look for different things. But there also is a place for, for teaching didactically sometimes in a, in a situation when there's a skill that needs to be taught. So I'm not saying that, you know, 
there's, there's different places, but it's also, it's, you know, you could go as far as that where you're looking at a project to try and solve a world problem or a local problem. And then there might be, you might be sitting down with a child and doing, or, or a group of kids who need to learn a particular school because they need that to do the next piece. So one of the, one of the pieces I think that sits in all of that is narrative and the telling of story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we mentioned right back at the, the beginning of the first episode of this special series um, uh, of, of your commitment to the notion of the planet and of the climates and of the, of, of the world around us. Um, when we unpick all of the, the, the hoo-ha uh, of the politics that sits around this, um, and, you know, to be honest, I've almost got to the point now with, with arguments about climate change where, where whenever I hear rehearsed political positions on either side, I just ignore them because that's just a, that's just a debate that's taking place over power and who, who gets to control the narrative um, rather than liberate the narrative. If we're looking at the, the, the situation of our planet right now and you talk to normal people who aren't politicised about it and they're trying to work out what's going on, most of them will speak to a narrative of disempowerment with relation to the climate. They'll talk about the idea that they get the reality of what we're doing to the planet, but what can I do beyond sorting my rubbish into um, recyclables or not? Um, how do we help teachers within the system feel empowered to do this work, whether, whether it's in the space of, of, of climate and the planet or not? Um, it's a really interesting question, and one that's one of the reasons why I set up a trust, uh, charitable trust here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, with the purpose of Indigenous knowledge transforming education and environmental solutions, because it's very challenging um, with all of the political discussions that are currently going on. And what we're looking to do is to sort of enable equitable and uh, equitable solutions that can be used, because it's not just the school's issue. And I think that's sort of, you know, like teachers can contribute, but it's a group effort. So there are people in the community who you can call in to support and have a discussion like I sort of outlined earlier. So you might call in people from university, you might call in people from a science space, you might call in people from the community to sit with you and figure out how can you do this together? Because I think that we can't transform how we teach if we just use the same people and use the same methodologies. So if you see a problem in your community, like, you know, there might be a problem with filthy water or there might be a problem with, um, you know, a creek that needs to be cleaned out or a river or a park or something like that. Who are the people in your community that need to work with you to do that? So it's like figuring out what you who are who else is involved, because that's part of the connection piece, too. Schools that don't live in isolation, but they but often they act like they're in isolation from their community. So how do we get that relationship shifting and start bringing people back together again? And then you've got to, you know, I always talk about, um, you know, parents as an untapped workforce. You know, there's a lot of parents out there who would love to come into schools and help if we were to, if we let them. So start thinking about that in a different way. It requires you to think about curriculum very differently, doesn't it? Because, okay. uh, you know, if, you, if you're in the system right now and you are a good, faithful and loyal servant of the system and you believe in it, then you'll see, ultimately, you'll see that there is a social mobility that's gained by the passing of examinations at the highest possible level, which is about the transmission of a received curriculum 
you know, take the stuff that's given you, put it in an accessible version as possible, teach kids how to play the game of school, push them through the system. And what we then end up seeing, of course, is individual classrooms that are isolated from the system of, of the whole of community. And sit there and go, well, that's all well and good. But in my classroom, I've got to teach them these verb functions and these noun functions because that's going to help them get this mark, which will enable them to get from here to here to here. And so people see themselves serving that greater purpose by, as I referred to earlier, the atomization of yeah. the profession rather than the holism of the profession. How do we help people to see that they have a responsibility to speak to the whole, not just the parts? Well, firstly, without trying to sell my books, read some of my books because it's got the evidence in there that shows that academic achievement shoots right up when we actually start talking about who ch children are and start doing the work that makes meaning for them. So, part and, of and just and and just very quickly, which book would you start with out of um, the books that you've written? If if no, if people haven't read your work, what's the one you would encourage them to start with? Um, measuring human return. If you are a if you are a researcher, measuring human return because that has got all the evidence in it, and it talks about case studies and it gives you a, it gives you the whole processes, and it's got case studies from about nine countries. If you are not a researcher and you just like to sort of read lightly, then read Depth File Detectives because that's just a little story and it's a, almost like a cartoon story um, that just gives you a flavour and it's a child telling that story from their viewpoint. So I think, you know, depending on whether you like to read stories, read that one. If you like to read the depth of research in real life research, then read uh, Measuring Human Return. Thank you. Now, where was I up to? <laughs> Yeah, and I think one of the things is that the results, so, so when I was younger and and more headstrong, which is hard to believe, um, <laughs> I, I used to say to school systems, like, don't worry about those results. That's, that's, not, that's not what's important. What's important is your kids get what they need, right? But I've grown up since then. And I now say those results are important to you in the, because that's what you need to do for your kids to get into university and you're not going to believe me unless those results go up. So what I now see is that I make sure that when we're working and we're, we're doing this work, that those results are, are reflected as well. Every, just about, well, not just about, every school system that we've worked with, the academic results go up too. Can I say that again? The academic results go up too. Now, the reason that those results go up too are why. Why do you think that is, Phil? Well, because if you belong... If you feel as though you belong, you're more likely to achieve your potential. And if you feel as though you belong and you're achieving your potential, you're more likely to do good and right in the world. Mm -hmm. It's quite simple, really. But it's counterintuitive to start with because you don't hit the academics straight away. You don't open the book on page one and go through page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way through to 100 on a textbook. And you don't behave like that. So it's a change of behavior. What you do do is you open the child up and you say, who are you? And how can I help you learn? And that's a different way of doing it. And it's pretty scary sometimes. So what we do is we walk with you until you feel you can't walk alone, until you feel you can walk alone. And I think that's the things that teachers need that courage. They need somebody. They need people like us to walk alongside them because it's scary to change our behavior. So they need people who are confident, people who will challenge them, and people who will give them permission to change and principals are that, are that first person the principal is the first person who says yes we can do this and then they need help 
Because unless you've got somebody from outside of the school helping you do this, it's almost impossible because you don't know what you don't know until, and you can't see it when you're in it. I can't see my own team while I'm in it. I have to get people from outside my own team to help me see what's going on in my own team. And I'm an expert at this. <laughs> yeah, right? also, look, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly we, we, the same we're situation. All we, we all are, but we have, you know, the good thing about it is we can admit it, right? So yeah. what we need to do is we need to say to school, I say it to school principals and to system leaders all the time, you know, I need a coach. Everyone does. You know, we, we are all in that same situation. It's really hard to see what's going on in front of your own nose. And that's okay. Well, it's a natural and normal and human thing for mm. us to be like that. You know, Danny Kahneman says what we see, what you see is all there is. That's so right. you need somebody else to help you see mm-hmm. further along the way. But you also need somebody who's going to support you through That's that right. period of conscious incompetence, particularly after you've built up a whole personality, which is which is uh, an, a, a whole personality and a whole uh, skill set and a whole status, perhaps even a whole mana, as, yeah. as, as your folk might say, yeah. which is around the capacity to do and to be in a particular way. And yet as you're becoming yeah. something else, um, it's, it's, it's dangerous territory to go to. Mm. And so many will just open the door to mm. have a look at the stuff they can't do and get frightened by it and close the door. So they need somebody who's going who's gonna to walk with them. And I think that's the thing is that, that there are people and there are lots of schools who have been doing this now. It's not, it's not on the edge now. I think this work used to be on the edge, whereas now it's becoming much more normal for schools to recognise this as the way to go. I can remember hearing about this stuff um, for the first time, somewhere around about 1993, 1994, yeah. um, and, you know, by the by the people who's, who stood in our shoes a yeah. generation or two previously within the profession, and they were talking about this stuff. Why do you think it's so hard um, for schools, for the education system, to validate the role of coaching in professional learning? Because we know that professional learning is knowledge transmission simply doesn't work. It doesn't change outcomes it does, for, for learners. It barely changes outcomes for teachers along the way without a relationship with someone to help you walk through a process of personal transformation. It's hard to see that transformation then reflected in your own learning. So we need a coach. We need mentors. We need guides along the way. Why does our profession find it so difficult to institutionalise something like this, which might actually work? Because of the reason that we have been seen as the fonts of all knowledge. We've been told we are the fonts of all knowledge, so why would we need any help? We've been told we know everything. We've been told that we're the ones who impart knowledge, so why would we be needing somebody to help us? So that's why I'm very, very humble in the sense of explaining to people that I don't know everything. That although I am, see, I am, I am, I, rec- I am a recognised global leader in educational system change, but there are still holes in my knowledge, and so therefore I will get other people to come and partner with me when there is certain things that I have no idea about. There's absolutely no way any one human being can know everything now. No way. And teachers have got a layover or a hangover that we should know everything. I get such joy when I hear a teacher say, I've got no idea. Or, you know, or or, can I find that out with you? Or who else would know that? Or, 
let's figure this out together or, you know, something like that. That is when I know a teacher is a genuinely true teacher because they are working it out with a learner and they have a learner's attitude. I drive people mad normally, not, you know, like, well, you as well probably. <laughs> I like um, comment. <laughs> um, because I ask so many questions. I, I want to know things. I'm fascinated. Like, we're going to someone's classroom or school. Why? How? how when? How? And then, you know, and I talk to kids and I'm, I'm fascinated by what's going on. So it's like, ask questions and be a learner and don't be frightened not to know things. You know, I got over myself a long time ago. There's just no way I can learn everything or know everything, but I want to keep trying. What do you think the role is of the principal in this? You, you alluded to it earlier. I think principals have a very special role in, in what is frequently called their instructional leadership. But what is this instructional leadership? What are the ingredients of the role of a successful principal? The first one is I want teachers to understand that it's really a hard job being a principal and to give them a bit of a break. Because teachers often... They never, they never will, but that's all right. <laughs> teachers don't know how hard it is to be a principal, right? So firstly, give them a break because principals are trying to give you a break, teachers. Right. Secondly, principals, if you can give an what's called the authorising environment to do this work and trust your teachers, give them the tools, get somebody in to walk alongside them and trust them. They've been trained. They've been trained. Give them the professional learning ask them what they need, and then trust them. Like, I think that's a big thing. It's like we've lost the trust in our system that teachers know what to do. If they haven't got the knowledge, teachers, you tell your principals that you haven't got the knowledge. Principals, ask your teachers if they have the knowledge. Get talking to each other again. And if you don't know what to do, get help. Um, and I think principals have to say it's okay to do this work. And the other thing I will suggest about principals is don't be frightened to ask your colleagues and work in a team. So often our system has made us, both in New Zealand and Australia, um, compete with each other. We don't need to be competing with each other. It goes back to that comp competition question. Our systems pay us on how many kids we have in our schools, which is not a great idea because that is an unintended effect of us trying to compete with each other to get our schools to be bigger. Whereas what we should be doing is saying it's not so much relevant on the number of schools, it's the quality of what we're producing that we should get paid on. I shouldn't really because I don't know that would be a quality conversation. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that. But the bottom line is, is that we should be helping each other to get better and sharing our practice, sharing what works so that we can do it all together. So principles so, don't be shy. So, so let me let me just dig into the quality piece for just one moment because we've talked about the importance of relationship so what does success look like when you've got a principal who has led towards the creation of genuine and authentic learning relationships in a school um, they have created the conditions by which teachers can work together so they have created space and time for that they have removed the requirements to do stuff that doesn't work anymore, meaning that they don't have to go through, use a pacing guide or go through a standardised curriculum document, that they've created the opportunity for teachers to be able to measure what matters, that they have created the opportunity to lead all the way through to outcomes for kids, that they've got an opportunity to share best practice and that the relationships across the school and with the community are critically important. 
So these relationships need to be doing certain things. They're not just there for the sake of having, yeah, they're not just like there's some fun and hopefully some joy that will come out of it. But these are designed relationships. These are relationships that come come together to achieve a shared purpose. Yeah. So in a school, I have five conditions that really need to be present. The first one is, does everybody have the same language? Do you all understand exactly what you're talking about? So they've got a rubric called um, understanding your system. Second one is parents as partners. Do, Do you actually have a partnership with your parents or is it just fluff? Next one is measuring what matters. Do you actually measure the most important things in your school or are you just still doing the things that we used to do in the olden days? Next one is, can you lead all the way through to change for an outcome for a child or do you get tired halfway through the year? And then the last one is, do you have high expectations for every child in the school and do you know them? So when we have all of those five conditions in place, then we have great relationships across the school because they're working relationships as well. We want them to be personal relationships, but mostly they have to work together. So you have to have a bit bit of both. So when I work with the school, we create teams in the school that work on those areas to make sure that everybody has got those situate that they're working together so that it makes sense. So to me, it's really, really critical that the relationships have purpose, that they that that the school has a self-understanding of its own skin too. So the school knows who they are, they know how to connect using those tools, and they know what their purpose is too comes back to that life of purpose thing again. I know, I quite like that. (laughs) (laughs) Quite like that, life purpose. (laughs) Yeah, look, it's a a funny thing, isn't it? So much of what we've been talking about is is about how to resolve the wrestling between the inner space um, and and the sense of drive and the sense of becoming, which is ultimately, I think, about leaving a mark, you know, making a mark. And then there's that external piece about measuring up to the expectations and the standards and the values of others around you. And and we do this wrestling piece in so much of what it is that we do. You talked about permissioning within our systems um, and, and given the, I think, the personalities of so many teachers, we need to do a lot more work on permissioning and validating than most other professions. I can remember writing endless handwritten cards to staff to say um, thank you, uh, really appreciate that, and and so on and so on, and then and then being told many many times that I never said thank you and I didn't do this and that and the other. You kind of have to look past that, don't you? And just just keep working at it. There's a there's a certain thanklessness yeah. um, about at times about leading within the profession. One of the things that worries me is that too few people within our profession want to take on the role of the principal that person who advocates for everybody in their community, particularly the learners in their community. Um, How are we going to get more people who are going to stand up for the role of the principal and try to become one themselves? Um, I think by doing contributive learning. Because then what, what you're starting to do is you're starting to move away from having to do the things that don't matter and still you can still be successful within the system. So the reason why teachers don't hear you when you say thank you is because they are unhappy with what they are doing. People don't hear you when they are not happy, right? So it's kind of it's kind of like, how do we get our teachers happy? Because if the teachers are happy, they will hear you. So then if teachers are happy, then principals are going to be happy, and then people are going to want to be a principal again. 
So I think what we've done is we've made it a really miserable job right now. Um, and we we tell them that, you know, you're not good enough and it's not okay that this kids didn't get enough results. It's not okay that you're, you're excluding that many kids. It's not okay that you're doing that. You're not doing okay. You're not doing okay. Better get yourself sorted out. And I think really what we should be doing is saying, who are you and what do you need and how can we help you and how can I walk alongside you? Um, and we do the same with you as we do with our teachers. So it's the, the, the issue is, is that we have to support our principals just like we need to support our teachers because principals are incredibly precious people and it is a really hard job. So what principals need, the system needs to show principals as much care as we are showing our teachers or trying to show our teachers too. So I think so it's, it's a, a critical job. Yeah, so as, as my, my friend and colleague Adriano De Prado would talk about, it's, it's that high expectations, high care yeah. model um, for everybody right everybody. through the system. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny, isn't it, that um, that we're all human beings and although we all need different things, we all need the same things at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's part yeah. of the paradox of all of this, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, I think we, we look for simple solutions. We try and reduce things to, you know, three, three things I can take into my classroom tomorrow that will fix the world and yeah. um, we yearn for that sort of thing. But the reality is that we're going to be wrestling with this for the rest of our uh, of, of of our professional lives and then probably beyond that. What would happen if I said to you, don't hurry, that, you know, we can, we've got a bit of time. You know, we've got 500 years. We've got generations to get this right. It's taken us how long to get it wrong. So it's sort of like, you know, like we all, we all are in such a hurry. So for me, it's like, you know, coming back to Aotearoa New Zealand to live, it's actually taught me a few things about just calm down, girl. You know, sort of like, just think about how do we get it right properly? And when I say properly, it's not proper. It's properly just slowly getting it right. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with some of my, my local iwi, my local people, and they've taught me just to calm down and just to remember, stick to the right work. We have a word, stick to the kaupapa, the right work, and everything else will follow. If you race and try and make everything go perfectly, then you're bound to trip up, fail, make mistakes, which is okay as well, but you're going to make a lot more. If you really stick to what's right and do the right thing and you know what's right, then eventually it's going to come through. And you know that. I know that. That's why we're sitting in the place we are today. I reckon that's a good place for us to stop. Thank you so <laughs> much. Um, I, I, I've been calling you Jojo because I'm a friend of yours. You are, of course, Joanne McKechn. How can our listeners best make contact with you, find you, um, observe your contribution to the world of education at large. Oh, thanks so much, Phil. Um, you can contact me on the Learner First website. So that's www.learnerfirst.com or you can email me at joanne at thelearnerfirst.com or you can follow me on, oh, I don't know if Twitter will still be there. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, or I'm on LinkedIn at um, Joanne McKeegan. So any of those ways would be fine. And I'd love to hear from you. Really happy to work with you. We're, we're working across three countries at the moment, but we're also expanding into Canada and into Mexico within the next year. So looking forward to sharing, um, sharing in more countries around the world. Jojo, thank you so much for the opportunity to share um, your journey um, with our listeners. I know that everybody will be appreciating very much your vulnerability and your leadership, your example, in thinking about what it is they need to do to reflect on people and place and planet to find their purpose 
and to put it into practice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kakitiano. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.